tonight. Uh, Chapter 1, we want to look at verses 27 through 30, and uh, let me lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name and study it together. Uh, The word of our God shall stand forever. Uh, We thank you for uh, what we need to know for salvation, for service, uh, Lord, just uh, for encouraging us in times like this. So, Lord, as we open to the book tonight, we pray for the Spirit's leading and teaching us, and we commit our time to you, as well as uh, Awana youth group that are ongoing. Bless those ministries. Pray that they'd all have a good time as far as even the game time, keep everybody safe. But most of all, the, the ministry of the Word would bear fruit. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, we note uh, here, as far as the theme is rejoicing, uh, joy, rejoicing the Lord, uh, we have been working our way. We'll complete tonight, Lord willing, chapter 1, salutation, opening prayer, rejoicing in Christ our life. Well, uh, along with uh, the theme of joy, what are some other dominant themes we have in the book of Philippians? Anybody remember? Uh, you know, it's... What, what's that? Okay, we could throw that in there for sure. Um, no, it's not, but it, it, it's in there. Uh, what were you going to say? Well, that's right, and that's where I'm going to go ultimately tonight, right? Another, there's, a, there's a major gospel emphasis in here, as well as thanksgiving. You've got joy, thanksgiving, uh, the, the gospel, and eternal perspective. All of these things are coming through in the book of Philippians. Uh, we uh, often say Philippians 4.4 4 is the key verse, right? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Uh, I think there's another competitor for Philippians 4.4 4 in the book, and that would be Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, which really kind of emphasizes the overall thrust of Paul's mindset, what, what makes him tick, uh, his motivation. Both those are, are great uh, summary verses. Well, we uh, note uh, as we pick it up here uh, in chapter uh, 1, verse uh, 27 through 30, uh, Paul now is going to emphasize... Uh, conduct worthy of the gospel. And uh, we've been talking about uh, for to live as Christ, as he emphasized, and to die as gain. And uh, we worked our way through that, and uh, where Paul's kind of wrestling back and forth, pros and cons as far as coming or, or going and staying. And uh, now in light of staying here, he's, he's got some words of exhortation to say to the saints here at Philippi. Somebody want to read verse 27 for us tonight? John? Okay, thank you. Uh, So notice uh, he's emphasizing conduct. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Uh, This word conduct is the main verb in verses 27 through 30, which is one sentence in the Greek, by the way. So this is the main idea. And uh, the word conduct literally means to perform duty as a good citizen. That's really the gist of this word, uh, to perform your duty as a good citizen. And so, you know, they would have understood this word in relationship to Rome. Uh, Rome wants you to be a good citizen. But you're now, uh, as a child of God, you are a citizen of heaven, ultimately, a citizen of God's family, and you should conduct yourself as a, as a worthy citizen of, of God's gospel family here is the idea. Well, how do you do that? 
Well, that's a good question, right? Uh, How do you conduct yourself worthy of the gospel? Well, there's certain emphasis that he's going to make here. Actually, there's four things that he's going to bring out, as we will see tonight. But uh, certainly the emphasis here in the opening statement here is to be worthy, to conduct yourself worthy of the gospel. In other words, that which reflects well on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, In other words, it relates to a lifestyle of integrity that's consistent with the claim of a changed life. If you claim to believe the gospel, you're really in effect saying, Christ has changed my life. Now, you should conduct yourself in a way that's consistent with that. And it's amazing how many people want to say, well, I believe, but, you know, it doesn't have any effect on how I live. Uh, That's completely out of sync with what Paul is saying here, uh, to conduct yourself worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we should have a talk that talks, but it should have a walk that walks, right? Our talk and our walk should match. So uh, that's the emphasis. Warren Wearsby tells about a, a story... Uh, he tells a little story here. My wife and I were visiting London. One day, decided to go to the zoo. We boarded the bus, sat back to enjoy the ride. It was impossible to enjoy it because of the loud, coarse conversation of the passengers at the front of the bus. Unfortunately, they were Americans. And we could see the Britishers around us raising their eyebrows and shaking their heads as, they, as though to say, Oh, yes, they're from America. We were embarrassed. Because we knew that these people did not really represent the best American citizens. <laughs> it's a good illustration, right? As far as, you know, okay, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Now act like it. Conduct yourself in a worthy manner of the gospel is the idea here. And when people don't do that as Christians, it can be really kind of embarrassing. Kind of embarrassment. It's bad sometimes when people say, well, the worst customers are the Christians. I've heard things like that. Say, you know, boy, we, we, the Christians are, are the most, uh, you know, <laughs> troublesome <laughs> sometimes. Got an attitude. Uh, we, we don't want that uh, to be the case. Uh, next slide here. Uh, unknown author, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? Ah, Yeah. You know, uh, you're saying something about the gospel in your conduct, day in and day out, the way you live. And hopefully you're saying, uh, you know, I'm saying good things about Jesus Christ. I'm saying good things about the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Just a couple of more slides here on uh, this uh, opening statement here. Uh, One day some people came to their pastor and said, Do you have some literature we can give to our neighbors who believe a false gospel? The pastor opened his Bible, read from 2 Corinthians 3, 2. You are our epistle, written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you're, you're the epistle. And uh, it doesn't take the place of the word of God, but your life is making a statement. And people do think about that as far as, hey, you claim to be a Christian. You're making a statement that should really be read in a good light in terms of how we're conducting ourselves. We have lots of scriptures here. Uh, What are people reading from your life? I could put my life, your life, my life, and mine. As believers, we are the representatives of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. You see yourself that? You you are Christ's representative in the world. That's why you're here. It's one of the main reasons you're here. You're here to represent Christ. 
I mean, if you're not here really to live for Christ and to represent him, you might as well just go to heaven because you're just kind of filling space here. <laughs> you're wasting time here. Uh, we are ambassadors, uh, really royal representatives is the idea. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So you know, as his ambassadors, we have a message. We're, we're giving an invitation. We're pleading with people to be reconciled to God. And uh, I like, Vince likes to use that word reconciled. Right? Yeah, you do. Uh, when you're reaching out to people, instead of just saying, well, have you believed or, you know, are you saved? You know, have you been reconciled to God? Didn't you just recently do that with a guy? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, which is a neat way to, to make people think. Because sometimes people can just respond in a thoughtless way. Uh, what does it mean? I need to be reconciled. That assumes things are not right. Uh, something needs to happen, so I'm reconciled. We're ambassadors to that end. Uh, Titus 2.10, uh, he's talking to the slaves here. He says, showing all good faith so that in every, everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. To make it look good. Uh, live in such a way. He, again, he's talking to the slaves, not pilfering, you know, showing respect to their masters and so forth. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay. There's four aspects now that he brings out that are consistent with conduct that is worthy of the gospel. And the first thing he mentioned here is, number one, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. What's the key idea here? Consistency, right? Consistency. Uh, you know, when our kids were young, we would often, you know, we wouldn't often, but sometimes have a babysitter. When we come home, you know what we'd ask? How were the kids? <laughs> How did they do while we were gone? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the goal is that they will behave while we're gone as well as while we're there. Right? That there's going to be some consistency. And so that's the exhortation here. God's children should uh, behave in a consistent manner, whether, uh, manner, whether they're being uh, observed or, or not. And one thing about it, God is always watching, right? And you say, well... <laughs> I've had this experience before where I came into a home and, uh, you know, there was things out that really they didn't want me to see. And I went around the corner and it disappeared somehow. <laughs> I've had that experience a few times. It's like, well, you know, you don't have to be worried about me, really. I'm just a nobody here. It's really Jesus Christ that should be your concern at all times. Uh, not, not the pastor, per se. God is watching at all times. Uh, if you are behaving like a Christian only when people are watching, then you are pretty shallow, really pretty shallow, because in fact, God is watching all the time. Uh, we want to be God pleasers, not merely people pleasers. Uh, being a good gospel citizen is a 24-7 responsibility uh, when you know you are being watched and when you don't think you are. You know, and sometimes it's really especially good when nobody is watching you. Uh, I, I remember one time as a young Christian, uh, you know, I was a brand new Christian. Before, before I was a Christian, I would tend to walk off with things. You know, uh, I hate to use the word, but I would steal things, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I would do that. 
you know, even for my job or whatever, I would pilfer stuff. And, but I remember at, I was cleaning carpets. I got a job cleaning carpets after I was saved. And I found, I think it was a dime on the floor. And I remember holding it up and saying, Lord, I'm a changed man. I'm not going to take this dime. <laughs> you know, that's the way it should be in our life. Uh, whether people are watching us or not, there should be consistency. Because God is always watching us. That's for sure. Whether I come and see you or I'm absent, that I may hear of your affairs... Number two, number two here, that you stand fast in one spirit. Now, this uh, idea of stand fast is really the idea of one who defends his position. It was used of a soldier who's defending his position and, and will not budge from that position. Uh, stand fast. The idea of, is have a spirit of, of no compromise in relationship to the gospel. Remember, he's talking about conduct in relationship to the gospel. Stand fast on the gospel. Uh, remember uh, Paul in Galatians 1, 8, 9, some of the harshest words. If anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Other things, he doesn't take that strong a stand. But boy, when it came to the gospel, there's no budge here. We, we, we can't compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't budge even a little bit on the gospel. Well, now when you think about that, uh, that you stand fast in one spirit, so he's emphasizing a, an aspect of unity here. But before we get to that, uh, what is the idea of standing fast uh, in relationship to the gospel? What, what kind of thing should we stand fast and say, we're not going to compromise that in relationship to the gospel? What are some aspects of the gospel that we should not compromise? Well, I know the classic answer, all of them, but what are certain truths in relationship to the gospel? We say, this is a hill to die on. The deity, the deity of Christ, the person of Christ. Absolutely. What else? Don't add to it. Oh, amen to that. It's not Jesus plus. Right. Uh, so... Uh, Maybe we want to add that to that just a little bit as far as uh, we're talking about the person of Christ, the deity of Christ. And what are you talking about, Kurt? You're talking about the, basically the work of Jesus Christ, right? The finished work of Jesus Christ. And we can't add to that finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not what Jesus did on the cross and now like, well, I'm going to add, oh, we're having a baptismal service. That will make doubly sure they're in, Right? That's going to add a little something to their salvation. No, 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 no. Nope. If you're not saved before you get in the water, that water is not going to help you at all. It's the blood of Jesus alone that cleanses from sin, not the water. Water has no cleansing value, only the blood of Jesus. So, yeah, it's a hill to die on. It's a hill to die on. And it's amazing how many people that claim to believe what we do end up in churches that really take a stand of baptismal regeneration. It always kind of amazes me. And some of these churches are just kind of low-key about it. But if you really know what's going on, that's where they stand. A lot of Christians end up, it's like, no, no, stand fast. You can't compromise on this. How about this? Uh, if uh, you really believe the gospel, does it affect you in any way? I would go a little further than that. Yes, it does. <laughs> Not only should it, it does. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. That's a changed life. It's a changed heart. It's a changed perspective that does result in a change of conduct. Now, we need to be consistent with that, but we're going to insist if you are a true believer, you're born again, and your life is not going to be the same. Yeah, you were going to say something? 
Yeah. Yes. That's right. Yeah. No. I mean, that's true. If you're born again, you are a changed person. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Amen. Uh, yes, Derek. Well, amen to that. Both aspects. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. That's right. And as far as the gospel, that's certainly true. All right. So I would uh, emphasize three things here. The person of Christ, the work of Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then as far as the gospel, it's a life-changing reality if you really believe it. Uh, those are kind of hills to die on as far as uh, the gospel and the conduct of, of the gospel. Okay, um, but notice in addition here, uh, stand fast, but he says in one spirit. Really think talking about the attitude here of the believer that we should be uh, shoulder to shoulder in, in standing firm on the gospel. Uh, you know, as believers, we stand together. It's not like, well, some of us are over here and some of us are... No, when it comes to the gospel, we're shoulder to shoulder here. Uh, we're standing fast in one spirit. We're all contenders here. Uh, we, we, we should be. <laughs> Hopefully we're not having to struggle within ourselves as far as standing in, in conjunction with the con- conduct of the gospel. We're all in agreement here. We've got to stand firm on this shoulder to shoulder. All right. Well, uh, two things so far. Be consistent. Uh, stand fast in one spirit, number two. And uh, anything else? I'm kind of continuing on here unless you've got something. Okay, number three. Uh, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So not only do you stand fast, but now striving together. That kind of takes it a a step further here. Uh, We have this one mind that we're in this together, as we have noted, one spirit. But then striving together is an athletic term. Uh, It's it's an intense term, uh, as if you're involved in an athletic contest. And, and you're striving uh, to win. That's the idea here. And uh, there is effort here. Uh, there's uh, intensity here. Too often Christianity is like a football game where you have 80,000 spectators desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 men on the field desperately in need of rest. The idea here is teamwork. And there's a tremendous emphasis here in the context. We are to strive together in a common cause for the gospel. This is not an individual effort. Uh, but a team effort. When individuals try to focus on self, they end up, as Paul's critics are seen earlier in the chapter, namely full of selfish ambition. That type of conduct is unworthy of the gospel. So I, and you get hints uh, along the line as you get into chapter 4 and so forth that there was a little bit of disunity here in the group. And so he's exhorting them, again, to walk worthy of the gospel. And this involves this, this mindset of striving together for the faith of the gospel. Yes. For sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the whole goal, right? That you are conducting yourself in a way that is worthy of the gospel, that sheds, looks well in light of the gospel, advances the gospel. That's the whole goal here. So, yeah. 
fact, I've got a couple more slides here. One uh, here. Uh, the struggle here is not against each other. In fact, our battle is really not w- against other people. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. In reality, our battle is with spiritual forces behind the scenes who often use people in the process. Don't lose sight of the fact that this is a, a spiritual battle. Some people are always struggling against this or that issue, and, and definitely uh, there is a, a place for that, but uh, against this person or that person. But the emphasis here is striving for the gospel. <clears throat> are we striving together or against each other? Lots of striving is uh, flesh-governed and not about the cause of Christ. Uh, two guys were struggling to get a couch through the doorway of an apartment, try as hard as they would. They could not get it through. Sweat was rolling. They redoubled their efforts. Finally, they had to set it down. Finally, one said to the other, are we going into the room or coming out of the room? Turns out one was trying to pull it in and one was trying to pull it out. Uh, The idea is to strive together for the gospel, not against each other. You know, we laugh at that illustration, but it is amazing how sometimes people, uh, Christians, are kind of, are we really working together? Are we striving together? Are we working in the same direction here? Or are we really kind of fighting against each other here? Okay. Um, Emphasis here in what we're studying. uh, In context here, the gospel is mentioned twice in this verse. Uh, The great cause in view is the gospel. Paul mentions the gospel six times in chapter 1. It's a tremendous emphasis. And the preaching of Christ three times. Clearly to Paul, the main issue in life, the Christian purpose and mission in life was about the gospel. Everything else paled in comparison. For Paul, it was all about Christ, his gospel, and his people. So you see where Paul was coming from pretty clear if you just study Philippians chapter 1. Okay, but notice what he uh, zeroes in here, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We have the definite article here. The faith, a particular body of truth a spiritual truth uh, called the gospel, the Christian gospel, uh, which certainly when you boil it down is that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. But then as you think about in the more general sense, the the message surrounding the truth of Jesus Christ, we have uh, the New Testament faith, the faith of the gospel. Um, And the church is the pillar and, and support of the truth. One more slide here. The church has the responsibility to defend and advance the gospel of Christ, but we can only do so effectively if we have the proper mindset. Uh, Where we stand united in this great effort and are willing to work hard together in this endeavor. Too many Christians think that the Christian service is what the pastoral staff or elders or people on committees do. That's just a small part of the picture. This is a whole team thing. Everybody is to play a part in the gospel mission. We all have a gospel assignment that no one else can fill. There are people in your life that no one else can touch like you can. It's your gospel job to reach them. You can pray. You can show Christian love. You can give a tract. You can invite to church. You can model Christ. Whatever your station in life, it's your responsibility to live in such a way that you reflect on the gospel, that your conduct is worthy of the gospel. Again, uh, this is the goal, uh, to win people to Christ, to share the truth of the gospel with them. All right, uh, that's verse 27. Any other uh, input? Yeah. I would maybe make one comment, too. Not, yeah. Not even just fighting against one another or having one person do all the work, but, you know, in our culture, we're so saturated with self. Everything's focused on self. And I think there's, even in the Christian culture, this idea of, you know, I, it's, it's really, everybody's focused on themselves and, you know, what am I doing? Um, a 
social missions and so forth. But uh, you know, anytime we take take put our eyes on ourselves, we're taking our eyes off of God. I often think about even in our you know our marriage relationship, there's been opportunities that you know Ellie's had to to lead Bible studies or what have you, where you know maybe I can play a support role in that sense and, and you know step in, and so she has the ability to do that. Or maybe it's uh, uh, you know maybe you're able to to help somebody in church to free them up to to, to serve in a way. So. I think if we if we keep our minds on God and, and you know what the real mission is, um, you know, and not on self, you know, we'd be a lot more effective together. Yeah, which is a great emphasis here. It's it's not just a self emphasis here. It's a it's a team concept. What can we do to enhance what we're doing as a group as far as our gospel outreach? Yep, that's good. All right, anyone else? Okay, let's uh, go ahead and have somebody read verse uh, 28. Who wants to read verse 28? Yeah, Mac. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you salvation and that from God. This is an interesting verse because he's saying, uh, number four, you know, number one here, uh, he says, uh, as we noted there, uh, be consistent. Number two, stand fast. Number three, striving together. And now, number four, don't be terrified. Don't be terrified by your adversaries. Uh, you know what terrified means? Scared. Yeah, scared to death. Really, it's the idea of scared. Uh, it, was, it was a word that was used if a, if a horse would be spooked and then just take off running like crazy. Uh, would bolt. Uh, it's that idea of panic or, or fear. And so, uh, yeah, not in any way terrified, terrified by your adversaries. You know, it's interesting that God expects us to, with his help, we can't do this, I don't think, ourselves, you know, but he expects us to control our emotions. Isn't that kind of interesting? What do you mean, no way? How can I can't help? I'm terrified. I'm scared to death. What am I supposed to do about this? Well, maybe ask God to help you. Maybe ask God to help you. He clearly says, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Terrified is an emotional experience, right? It's where your emotions uh, take over. And it's kind of out of control as far as the emotion. I'm just terrified. Yeah, you need, those emotions uh, are to be brought in to check here, is what he is exhorting us. Uh, adversaries are those who oppose literally enemies. And uh, so... We're not to let uh, th them terrify us to where we're all shook up and we lose our testimony. Uh, that's, not to, that's not to happen. It's not good to be intimidated to where we lose our testimony, to where we're not standing strong on the gospel. And it's easy to talk, and it's easy to preach, I think, when you're not in a context of persecution like they were in in these days here. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I should be a real humble here as I'm preaching about this. But the Bible is clear. It's beyond what I or anybody else has to say. What does the gospel, what does the word say? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore, he says to Timothy, and Timothy, I think, was one that kind of went maybe back away a little bit. Let's, let's not get too far into this. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So we know what he's talking about. He's talking about being ashamed. Nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. 
Now, let me ask you, let's have a little discussion here. If God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, how can we enter into the good of that, do you suppose? I'm sure all of us would say, well, I don't want to be governed by this spirit of fear. I want power, love, and a sound mind. How do I get there? Your turn. I've been doing all the teaching. Mac? You get there from prayer and exercise. When I say exercise, you've got to practice getting rid of the peace. You know what? I think that that's a great answer. Prayer is good. Uh, ask God to help you. You know, I think we're completely dependent on God. But then I do think in faith, you move out. You do. You, you take the stand that God wants you to take in that situation, relying on him to do what the word says. God doesn't give us spirit of fear, but he does give power. Love. But if you won't take the stand, you won't experience the power. Yeah. Yeah, Vince. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, we all are. Exactly. And I know in my own experience, there's been times where I was very much afraid. But when I stepped out, God did give me a holy boldness that I, I really believe is supernatural from the Holy Spirit. But I think you do kind of have to step out in that situation. And if you're not willing to do that, you're going to be ashamed. You're not going to take the stand. You're going to be terrified and let that control you. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's true. Amen. Kind of like what Paul is exhorting Timothy, right? Be in this with me. Don't be ashamed. Uh, come, on, come and share in the suffering with me. Yeah, that's, that's good. You say, it's easy now, but if Pastor Dwight goes to jail, you know, I'll be hoping that you're standing with me and you're all forsaking me. <laughs> and I know you will. I know many of you will. Uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Uh, next slide for me here. There we go. Uh, these people were in a context where physical persecution was often a reality. It would be easy to be terrified in such a context. They could really relate to this. Paul says, don't do it. Think about your testimony with God's help. And I think that's key. You can get a grip on these emotions. And for the sake of the gospel, with God's help, you can be bold. By way of application, we should not be intimidated by co-workers who make fun of us or by family members who threaten us because of our stand for Christ. Now, you know, we want to keep everything in balance here. Uh, you know, I, I think of these crazy people who go to gay pride rallies, whatever, and hold up signs that God hates uh, gays and this kind of thing. I mean, that's plain stupid, uh, you know, uh, and you wonder why you're being persecuted. Uh, the Bible does say walk in wisdom towards them that are outside. We want to be a winsome witness uh, not a foolish, you know, witness. But at the same time, there's, some, there's balances here. We don't want to be yellow either and say, well, it's not wise. I don't want to take a stand. That could get me hurt. Uh, no, we want to be bold, but we want to do it, you know, wisely and in love, for sure. All of those balances. Okay, um, so those are the 
four emphases here in relationship to how we should conduct ourselves with the gospel. Be consistent, stand fast, striving together, and don't be terrified by your adversaries. And then he says this qualifier, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Two evidences uh, come forth here as far as when you stand like this. Number one, it shows these people who are your adversaries, who are trying to intimidate you and, and, and make you fearful. By the way, fear is the devil's tool. The devil goes about like a what? Roaring lion. You know, I don't know about you, but roaring lions would tend to make you afraid, especially if they're not behind the bars there, right? I mean, if, if they're in the cage, it's okay. I can be fairly bold. <laughs> if they're not and they're roaring, it's like, oh, my goodness, get me out of here. Uh, fear, it's, it's paralyzing. But he says here, if, if, if you are bold, uh, in no way terrified, that is a proof to your adversaries, a proof of perdition. Uh, perdition is the idea of that they're lost, that they're lost. And I think this speaks of this supernatural realm that I'm talking about. You know, the Bible talks about uh, Christ's resurrection power. Uh, Paul's desire, as we will see, is, is to know Christ, as we get into Philippians chapter 3, to know Christ, uh, the, the power of his resurrection. But then he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I think to really know the resurrection power of Christ, you also enter into his sufferings. And it's in that context that that supernatural reality of his resurrection life is put on display. And that's evident to those who are now uh, persecuting the people of God. If they're not terrified, that doesn't make sense. What? You're not terrified out of your wits? You should be. We're going to show you. And if you continue to have a composure that says, I'm not terrified, it's making a statement. Hey, I'm not like you. I have a supernatural peace about me. I have a supernatural power that is not a spirit of fear. It, it, makes, a, it makes a statement to them in terms of uh, where you're at and where they're at. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, to them, it speaks uh, a proof of perdition. They don't have what you have. But to you of salvation... Now, this supernatural boldness speaks that, uh, to the fact that, that you have uh, salvation and uh, that you're ultimately looking forward to salvation. Peter talks about this. First uh, Peter four fourteen. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I think in the context, and, and Peter writes to the suffering saints, when you're reproached, there is a there is a a ministry of the Holy Spirit that you probably don't experience unless you're, you're going through this. And there's been a few times in my life where I, I have been, you know, when I was first saved, when I got saved in the body shop, these guys went crazy on us. There's an older guy who was born again. He started sharing with me, and I got saved. There was two of us there. Every day, their whole life was to make fun of us. <laughs> and they loved it. And, uh, you know, and so we just put up with it. We prayed for these people. You know, they mocked us night and day. Well, in, in that, I really sensed the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in me, giving me joy in spite of what they were doing. Um, there is this reality of the Holy Spirit. On, you, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Uh, but the Spirit of glory of God rests upon you in that context. You're blessed in that sense when, when you are approached for the name of Christ. Again, I think there's some supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit in that context uh, when you're going through something like that. 
Okay, any other thoughts before we wrap up here with verses uh, 29 and 30 here? Okay, somebody want to read this? 29 and 30? Yeah, Vince. So few Christians have this verse 29 as their life verse. <laughs> it's an interesting verse coming from Paul who's in prison writing this. And he's, he's coming from a, a particular perspective here. Uh, to you it's been granted, not only to him, but he says to all of us who are going through this persecution. Uh, you know, we've got our adversaries out here trying to terrify us. Uh, to you it's been granted. This is your calling. This is uh, our privileged calling. On behalf of Christ, uh, for Christ's sake. God has put us in this position where we are for Christ's sake. And it's a privileged position. What, what is it? Well, to believe, yes, what, what a wonderful thing that God has graced us uh, to bring us to a, a saving faith. To have the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ and, and to believe in Him. What a, what a wonderful position of grace to be in. It's been granted to us to believe in Him. Should we stop there? Let's pray. <laughs> we are so blessed. We're granted uh, to have this privilege to believe in Christ. But then he continues, but also to suffer for his sake. You know, he's on that. I wish he'd get off that theme. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Your best life now. Probably nothing with persecution, right? Nothing with suffering. All the prosperity gospel people, they, they all live in this verse right here. Not, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's interesting how Paul puts this. Uh, you've been granted on behalf of Christ, not only believe, it's a wonder, wonderful testimony to come to faith in Christ and he's changed my life and, and uh, now I have the privilege to live according to the gospel and conduct myself appropriately. But part of that is to suffer for his sake. God, is, God grants this. And what Paul is really saying, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. And I think it's good for us as American Christians to just think about, we don't think through this lens. You know what we think about right now? And honestly, I think about this. I like freedom. You Americans, right? You like freedom? Is anybody here who doesn't like freedom? Please leave. <laughs> if you have any sanity, you like freedoms. I mean, praise the Lord for the freedoms. But what if we don't have them? What if we're put in a context of suffering? Can we say it with Paul? Boy, praise God, I'm, it's, he has granted me the privilege to suffer. Might take us a while to get there. What do you think, as American Christians? In all seriousness, might take me a while to get there. Uh, I'll make it personal here. But Paul's perspective is, hey, I'm in prison, right? He's, he's not just talking about this in terms of theory. He's in prison. And he's saying, you know, uh, Philippians, I want you to know, it's a great privilege to, to have been brought to faith in Christ, to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake if it's truly for the cause of Christ. It's a privilege. This is after the apostles were being persecuted for their faith early in the church age. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were kind of worthy to suffer shame for His name. They departed from the council, determined that they were going to, uh, you know, contact their senators. <laughs> doesn't say that, does it? 
Not that there's anything wrong with contacting your senators. But they were rejoicing. They were kind of worthy to suffer. It's, it's, a, it's a high calling to be able to suffer for Christ. That's what Paul is, is bringing out. That's what, that's what the early church was emphasizing. Uh, we should not go looking for persecution. We don't have a persecution complex. There's something wrong with that too. We shouldn't go looking for it. That's not our, that's not our call. However, if we find ourselves in that position, we should realize that God has put us in a privileged position whereby we can glorify him through our suffering. In, in that case, it's our calling. Just faithfully living for Jesus will often result in persecution to some, in some way, to some degree. All who live, will live godly shall suffer persecution, Paul says. Believing and persecution go together <clears throat> consistently. Someone says, well, I only signed up to believe. No, you didn't. When you became a believer, you automatically signed off on to suffer for Christ. Everyone is called to take up their cross and follow Christ. We're, we're, we're called to suffer for him. Uh, do you believe that, uh, you know, you can have a cross without suffering? Isn't that interesting? We've kind of got that in easy believism in modern-day America. We have a, a following Christ, following the way of the cross with no suffering. You talk about heresy. That's where so much of American Christianity is at. Christ very clearly said, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's a matter of fact. Uh, don't expect the world to have a love affair with you. And if it does, there's a problem. Acts 14.22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. How, how uh, were they strengthening the, the souls of the disciples? Exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom. We're on our way to the kingdom, but how do we get there? Well, there's many sufferings along the way on, on the journey towards the kingdom. The prosperity gospel is a farce as far as health, wealth, and prosperity all the time. It's, it's not true. Uh, okay, um, let's see here. I think I've got uh, one more slide here. We have this easy believism and all kinds of bad teaching that says if you come to Jesus, you will never have any more hard times. This is balderdash. It's a good word, balderdash. In fact, if you're going to take your stand for Jesus seriously, the scripture is clear that, that you will suffer for it in the here and now to some degree. However, you will also be rewarded for it throughout all eternity. Hey, how's that for a payoff? Suffer now, just what? Just this little vapor of this thing called life. And then you're going to receive an eternal reward. Uh, you know, boy, how's that for a trade-off? It's a good deal. Uh, you see, Paul had an eternal perspective, and that is why he was filled with joy. This life didn't really matter. It was eternity that mattered. He was living in light of eternity, and that's what we should be too. It's really about eternity. It's not about now. Well, he says, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now he here is in me. Uh, this word conflict, again, is a strong word, emphasizing a strenuous struggle. It was used of gladiator contests. You know what gladiator contests were, Right? Gladiator contest is when you have a, a match between either two people or a person and an animal to see which one's going to survive. It's a struggle to the death. And he's talking about, that's this word conflict here. Uh, you know, our English word is, is translated agony. Agony. Having the same agony or conflict which you saw in me. And uh, they saw it in him. When did they see it in him? Well, he had been in, uh, at Philippi 10 years earlier. What was his experience in Philippi? Was it all fun and games? 
No, he was in prison there too. Remember the Philippian jailer who got saved out of the context of Paul being in jail? They, they, they saw what he went through there. And now here is in me uh, his, prison, his present imprisonment in Rome. So uh, let me wrap up here. I'm going to cut to the chase. It's 7.30 here. So uh, just a, a few things here. We're not going to read all this one. I like this, the sentiment of, this is a you know, secular quote from President uh, Theodore Roosevelt, you know, the man who's in the ring. But uh, we're going to skip that. Uh, Nancy DeMoss, the most compelling case for the truth of the gospel in any era should be found in the lives of those who claim to believe the truth. And we talk about apologetics. How about the apolog- apologetic, the defense of the faith in terms of our life, in terms of how we live? Uh, that's a huge one, Right? We talk about archaeology. We talk about fulfilled prophecy. All these things are great apologetics. But what about changed lives? Uh, found in the lives of those who claim to believe the truth. Unbelievers in the first century could not refute or explain away the obvious difference the gospel made in the lives of those who followed Christ. Imagine the effect if the unbelieving world could look at Christians today and observe. We keep our word. We're generous. We take care of our own. We're not idle. We have power to overcome sinful behavior. We do not fret in times of scarcity. We forgive. We work to resolve conflicts. We are meek under provocation, not return good for evil. We are morally chaste rather than living in the passion of lust like those who do not know God. We keep our marriage vows for better or worse. We rejoice in adversity. Imagine if you live that way. That's a powerful apologetic defense of the truth. Conducting yourself worthy of the gospel in a way that, wow, this really is a life-changing reality. And finally, my last slide here. Such Christianity is persuasive and contagious. Not all will surrender to the truth, but none will be able to deny it. Not really. Hey, there's something going on in that guy's life. Uh, This is the stuff of New Testament Christianity. Bob Roots tells about an Indian student who was trying to lead his Hindu professor to the Lord. The professor asked about certain moral shortcomings in the student's life, and he replied, Oh, don't look at me, look at Jesus. To which the professor replied, If your Jesus can't change you, why do you expect he could change me? Well, that's a good question, right? Give the professor credit. He's thinking, you know, if this is about a changed life, hasn't changed your life. I mean, hey, it makes no difference in your life. Why would I want it? One thing about the gospel is it changes lives. That's what we believe. That's a hill to die on. It's a life-changing message. And if it hasn't changed your life, you haven't really accepted the gospel. You're playing games. So conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel is what drives this whole thing here that Paul is saying at the end of chapter 1. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Good input. Appreciate Oh, I'm sorry. Michael? Yes. Thank you. 
Yeah, well, I think the, the devil and the demons are pretty smart, and there's certain strategies. It's kind of like, which is more effective uh, when you're in a context of where you're not suffering persecution and you have prosperity all over the place, or when you are having lots of persecution? What's more effective? Well, I think sometimes the greater challenge is when you are in a context of prosperity. And so the devil, I think, he's got lots of angles here and uses lots of strategies. This works well over here. This works well over here. So... um, Yeah, in, in short, yes, I think it will. I mean, I see even the things that are happening today among the pastors that I have fellowship with, it's making us closer. Uh, you know, those that are not like-minded, I think it, it makes it pretty clear, uh, you know, as far as the differences here. But as far as true Christians, I think it's kind of like uh, not forsaking the assembly and so much more as we see the day approaching. We need each other. We recognize that. And things that are not really essential things, you know, it's not that, you know, right now we got big issues that we need to stick together on here. So, so I think, yeah, I think God works through that and is really uh, honing the church, uh, you know, at work in the, in the church here too, as far as refining the church and making us stronger. Yeah, Bill? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Amen, brother. Yeah, very true. Amen. Well said. All right. Anything else? <clears throat> okay, let's share some prayer items. Everybody have a prayer sheet?